Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Kevin and this is Understand Tomorrow. This show is an open-ended exploration of markets, ideas, and stories. We invite early-stage entrepreneurs to impart their wisdom and provide you with actionable insights. You can learn more and stay up to date at erasmustech.io. My guest this week, Kian van der Enden, is a young engineer and one of the most curious and inquisitive minds I've interviewed so far. Kian is a researcher at QTech, where he's developing the quantum internet to help connect quantum computers at larger distances. He also interned at Microsoft to study quantum architecture and most impressively, won the first SpaceX Hyperloop pod competition out of 1,200 teams by designing and building the capsule that goes into the reduced pressure tubes that can reach airline-like speeds using electric propulsion and magnetic levitation. Our conversation is all about quantum tech and how this space is going to change over the coming decades. We discuss concepts such as quantum entanglement and quantum states, and quickly branch off to talk about broader implications and applications of this fascinating technology. Kian describes his work as bending fundamental physics properties to his will by writing software which controls machines in a controlled environment. I am fascinated by his work, and I think you will be as well. Enjoy the conversation. That's the clap. Yeah. All right. Welcome to Understand Tomorrow. This is your host, Kevin, and today I have the pleasure of hosting Kian. Um, Kian is an avid learner, a technology enthusiast, and currently working on building quantum tech and the quantum internet at QTech. Thank you so much for being here, Kian. Thank you for having me. So actually, we met at uh, TNW 2019, yeah, and we had true. a very nice conversation, and the energy was really nice, and we thought we would bring this on the show. Um, just for the audience, what are you doing? Uh, what are you involved in? Yeah. yeah, so actually, it's really funny, because actually, right now, we are at QTech, right? Uh, at QTech, I'm a PhD candidate, so uh, I finished my master's a couple years ago, and now working on uh, as a PhD candidate in the group of uh, Ronald Hansen. Um, where I'm actually building a quantum internet between Delft and The Hague. That's the, that's the goal. That's very exciting. And yeah. we're going to dig into the needy and greedy of it. And before that, I have a question that I ask all my guests. And that's about curiosity. What does it mean to you? And what is something that you're curious about? Yeah, it's actually it's funny that you ask that because the whole reason that I started in this field was because I felt I was curious about everything all the time. Um, and of course, yeah, I get the standard, like, you know, always asking your parents, like, what's this? What does that do? And at some point, their answers run out, right? Uh, but I, step, I kept asking questions. And I felt like I had this sort of all throughout high school, all throughout starting university, always asking more and more. And I think to me, curiosity is my sort of driving force into doing research, into getting somewhere and I don't know where I'm going to end up, right? But I'm always asking questions, always asking for what's the next step, where where does my research lead to, what can I do with it more? And I think it's that sort of, that itch that you have all the time that also makes you, yeah, work at it, right? You got to, mm -hmm. you got to, um, yeah, you, you got to scratch that itch. Yeah, but, yeah. But that's just sort of, to, for me, it's it's a bit more, I guess in the uh, in the applied physics world, it's a bit harder to uh, to to differentiate because I feel like all people here are always curious about everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, but of course that that translates back to work and translates back to uh, to doing that daily. Um, but yeah, what I'm curious about right now, yeah, that's 
of course, now I'm a bit possessed by sort of the work that we're doing here. Um, and uh, of course, I, I would love to be able to look into a, uh, into the future and sort of in 10 years and see where sort of this research that I'm doing right now, what did it end up in? What sort of influence did it have on society at, yeah. uh, at that point? And I, I hope it already has by then. Um, but it's sort of the, the curiosity of what will sort of quantum tech look like integrated into society in, mm-hmm, in the next mm-hmm. decades. That's sort of my... Yeah, I, I think it's really question. nice that you just follow your curiosity. I mean, I think it's going to lead you to a good place eventually. I think because really the good stuff comes when you are very intense, when you're obsessed about something because you just love it. You're fanatical about it. I think that's when you really start uncovering things that other people maybe didn't, uh, you know, because yeah. you have that interest in it in the first place. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, f- so, uh, you know, we'll explore throughout the podcast just kind of like, you know, what are you working on and kind of like, you know, taking that 10, 20 year perspective on, on quantum tech and maybe some of the applications that they're going to be around it. Uh, let's start with, let's say just what's quantum tech. Like, yeah, what, yeah of course. Yeah. There. That's so hard when you're sort of in this engineering bubble all the time. And uh, at some point it becomes sort of natural to understand that, that uh, what it is or that everyone wants it, but what is it really? Um, to me, it's the new wave of what, Sort of, you know, now we're in the information age, and I feel like the next age is the quantum age. Mm-hmm. Um, but because what we've done is we've taken part of physics that we knew existed, but now finally we've gotten to the point where we can use the sort of fundamental properties that 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 physics at a sort of a very low and sort of very small level provides us, and bend it to our will, and that opens up a lot more possibilities of mm-hmm. things that now we can measure, research, and also compute at the end. Uh, and of course, I'm cutting a lot of corners here. What does that really mean, obviously? And I think that they're, they're in, in, in large, you can distribute it over sort of a couple categories, namely uh, the computing side, uh, the communication side, and then sort of sensors and measurement side. Mm-hmm. And just like now, you know, all our phones have sensors in them all the time. You got even a humidity sensor and a pressure sensor and a magnetic sensor that you don't really know or use about too much, but they're they're in there and they're used. Um, but there's a lot more that you can, uh, you know, uh, the, these sensors are sort of smaller and sort of, you know, you can use for all these tiny things, but better sensors allow for better applications of certain technologies, even if it's sort of aimed at cameras or aimed at sort of sound recording, but also uh, uh, even now what we, what we saw that uh, there was lately in the news, right, that, uh, that there was newer uh, or that they found a particular substance in the rings of Venus, right, mm-hmm. or around Venus, such That's that, right. uh, and, uh, that there might be sort of signs of whatever, something life-ish that might be there. Those things are measured, right, from a distance. And now they have... They had trouble also sort of getting to the range of how certain are we that what we see is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they require they have a certain uncertainty on what they see. Imagine that if now you you would see that data as crystal clear as I see you right now, right? It's sort of those levels of advancements that you can expect in this sort of area of quantum sensors in that sense. And I know I, that's uh, still very vague, obviously, because I'm not saying anything about what does that you know, what's the underlying properties of that. Um, but to me, and that's also what QTech is, 
doing is that they're that we are actively trying to get all this knowledge and um, sort of lab advancements in how we bend this quantum mechanics to our will and try to find applications for that in real life. Yeah, so my, my feeling is that let's say, well, we'll get to, let's say, the state of the, of, let's say, of the infrastructure and the technology yeah. uh, as of now. But my feeling is, let's say, that maybe this decade is going to be about specific applications of quantum technology. And then from then, hopefully, that's going to incentivize business people to invest more in it and so on. Yeah. And then it's going to take off. Like, what, what is, so do we have quantum computers? Yeah. And, and how, I think you have something here, uh, Acutech as well, right? Yeah, no, we, that, that's, uh, that's why I have a resounding yes. Because, I mean, in, in this building, you have a couple, mm-hmm. a couple computers. A couple? The question is always, you know, how do you define computer, right? right? Uh, and in this case, um, there are computers, but they just have several bits, right? Several quantum mm-hmm. bits. You're right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always a question. They're, they're not anything like the computers that you and I use daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, in my opinion, and definitely computers because we can do computational things with them. Right. No matter how small mm-hmm. yet, right? Um, and they're in this building, but even also in... In other labs and at other companies, at uh, at Google and IBM, uh, for example, um, they have quantum computers and they do computational physics with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, f- first, are these quantum computers? Let's say whenever they come, yeah. uh, are these going to replace what we have now—the infrastructure and the classical, let's say, ways of computing—or is it going to be more specific? Or how how is it going to go? Yeah. Um, because the, this is a really good question, because there's this sort of uh, this introduction of quantum computing into the world sort of mm-hmm. happened with, you know, in 10 years, we're going to solve global warming because we have a computer that can <clears throat> solve everything, right? Obviously, it's not the case. And it would be a very, very fortunate, but yeah. unfortunately, it's not the case. Um, because um, much like the computers, are, the computers we have now are really good at solving very specific problems, they're also these classical computers we have now are also really bad at certain other problems. Right. Um, and as much so is the quantum computer good at solving specific categories of problems mm-hmm. and really bad at doing others. <coughs> so in that sense, um, the ongoing uh, thought is, and it's definitely the first step at least, is that the uh, up and coming uh, sort of first application of real quantum computers will always be a hybrid version between a quantum computer and a classical computer. Right, right. You always need, uh, because we're so much further advanced also in what a classical computer can do, we need a classical computer to send instructions to what this quantum mm. computer should solve for it. Mm-hmm. It should know, this classical computer should know, okay, you know, I have this huge calculation that's going to take me um, a week, let's say. Or even, there are even problems... Uh, that are not that hard to find these problems mm-hmm. that you say, okay, my classical computer looks at it and says, I can't solve this. Like, mm-hmm. It's impossible, but I can solve like the, the first 10% of it. Then there's like a blob of 50% that I cannot solve and the, and the rest is fine. Yeah. Uh, then it should recognize like, okay, let, let me do this first 10% and then this 50% stuff, I know my quantum computer can solve, send it out, mm-hmm. let, let this guy somewhere in the cloud compute this, bring it back to me and the, the rest is sort of piece of cake, right? So this is the integrated future of what you can think of a hybrid classical quantum computer handoff back to back, back mm-hmm. and forth 
system uh, could think of. So it does the heavy lifting, let's say, like let's, yeah, for where, certain things, yeah, where it requires that you know where things that would take weeks for a computer you know this quantum computer could do uh pretty quickly yeah for some uh, so i guess yeah. let's say uh and then just what 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 do you think are going to be some applications that you're seeing right now or maybe that are going to be over the next decade yeah so quantum computers one thing that a quantum computer could be really good at is an, is is in general sort of an optimization problem mm-hmm. there's things that require indeed looking at all the variables that exist and finding right. sort of the best out of it, the be- the best solution out of it. Um, and that runs from, you know, like pretty much all of logistics is an optimization problem, right? You mm-hmm. want you want companies to be, uh, th- they want as little overhead on logistics as possible um, to, to reduce costs or even maybe get sort of stuff out quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those things that are really hard to optimize with classical computers. You, you always require actually sort of people to implement those even now very smartly and you're, you're never going to be as efficient as you can be and you know that, but you, you're getting close. It's those type of problems that a quantum computer is really good at solving. It's, uh, it's even even already known like stuff like a shortest distance problem that, mm-hmm. that should be relatively easy to solve. Uh, but that also means shortest distance can be not just in physical distance, but also of course maybe the shortest uh, and most efficient path of, I don't know, your... Your your uh, your coal to be shipped. I don't know. We yeah, don't we, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. want coal, exactly. but you know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I get it. I get understand it. The point. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. And so, and actually, you're working in a very specific area, uh, the quantum internet. Yeah. So just tell us more about that. Yeah. So it's funny because I, um, in sort of the run up into where I ended up, I uh, I worked a lot on sort of the initial and parts of these quantum computing chips mm-hmm. measured a couple couple computers in that sense right and you look at the performance of them and, and how they uh, how you project their performance to be if you would make them larger and better um and then kind of dawned on me like okay now we have uh, we're gonna have a decade of improving computation right um but there has been very little talk on um how am I, in the end, going to connect all these quantum computers together? Mm, mm-hmm. And why is that more difficult than doing it now? Is because the quantum information that a that a quantum computer uses uses quantum states in the end. Those cannot be sent over a classical channel, meaning a classical internet, just like how you and I message before we met mm-hmm. up here. It's that type of communication that, um, uh, sorry, so the, the, the classical way that we talk, that's not an, a proper way of sending quantum information. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, not just, a proper way, not just a not proper way, but it's just impossible. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. And so we need a different way of communicating, and that's where sort of the quantum communication comes in. And of course, not just you don't want just one point to the other communication, but you want an interconnected service where, in the end, all quantum computers can be linked to each other, talk to each other, use each other as well, right? If you if you want a distributed computational platform in that sense, mm-hmm. maybe clouds to be connected, or uh, I have a small computer in this building, but I want it to be connected to a very, very much larger one that's on the other side of the world. Uh, those things I want as well for my quantum uh, hybrid 
sort of next next wave mm-hmm. of technology mm-hmm. and um um yeah so uh and that's really hard actually to connect quantum computers and it hasn't really been done before mm-hmm. um and of course you can say that about quantum computation as well uh, but there's definitely some inklings there that that show that we're on the right path but for connecting quantum computers together that hasn't been shown before over larger distance mm-hmm. so it ha- has been done in this building has been done across campus we have sort of connected different computers together and 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 checked that we indeed have these sort of quantum level mm-hmm. of assurances that we're indeed sending you know this quantum state mm-hmm. what a quantum computer uses but this gets exponentially harder when you want to do it over larger distances. So not just a kilometer, but say 20, 30, 100 kilometers. <clears throat> and, and that's what, where my research is, what, what my research is about. So I, I'm working on a long-distance communication form mm-hmm. of connecting two computers together, basically. Is, is the word internet a right way to describe it? Or I, I guess you're just moving things to the cloud, right? Ultimately, like that's, let's say, where things are heading. I mean, you could call it initially. Like, okay, say initially, it's a cloud, right? That mm-hmm. I mean, it will be concentrated in certain places in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, I'm not connecting to uh, an AWS server by anything else but the internet. Mm-hmm. And so, will these distributed quantum clouds also have to be connected through some system? Um, and of course, you can you can argue perhaps on what your definition of internet is. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely a interconnected system of quantum computers is what I would call an internet because that's the exact definition that we yeah, use yeah, now yeah. for a classical internet. Um, yeah, so that's how I th- that's how I view it in the end. So it will be connected mm-hmm. clouds, I guess. And, and I, I know we don't want to dig into it uh, too much, let's say into the technicals of it. Yeah. But uh, you know, you talked about let's say sending quantum states. Yeah. Can you like elaborate just on on that? Like, how does um, I guess we didn't dig into, let's say, what what makes it work because you know I guess you can watch a bunch of videos that can do that sure. uh, yeah. a lot better, and we have to we would have to go a lot into it. Yeah. But just on a high level, uh, what are these quantum states? Yeah, sure. Um, and actually, I think maybe the better starting point is uh, a matter of of how we communicate. And I think that that will that will explain a little bit. Um, because such just like the um, okay, so this level of communication uses a specific sort of fundamental property of nature, mm-hmm. and it's called entanglement. And entanglement is just like electricity or just like sort of magnetism. Like it's just a fundamental part of nature that exists on the quantum level. Mm-hmm. And what it is is that you you can have correlations called between different quantum states Um that are, in that sense, perfectly correlated, meaning that you can sort of yeah, literally entangle. It's what That's the only word there is. You can sort mm-hmm. of connect, but it's, it's entangle different of these quantum states. And then I'll get into what the quantum states sort of really, really could look like. Um, and by manipulating them, you manipulate both of them at the same time, basically. So mm-hmm. I do an action on one side, but an action on the other side happens simultaneously and in perfect correlation with the Mm -hmm. other. Uh, But that requires a lot of specific engineering in order to get these two entangled, really. 
So I can have a computer here, I can have a computer in The Hague, but I need to do something with these different computers in order to make them that connected like that. And um, to maybe then go into, okay, but what is then a quantum state, right? It's, it's, it's I would say, a packet of where the information is. Now we have information stored in bits. Uh, for a quantum computer, information is stored in a quantum bit. That's mm -hmm. not just zero or one, but can be a superposition of zero and one, it's called. So it have weights in, it, it's a mix of zero and a mix of one at the same time. And only by observing this quantum state, so actually performing a measurement, I'm asking the computer, hey, what are you at this point? It will give me back, I'm either a zero or a one, depending on the uh, the weights that are given to them and then the statistics that come with that. Um, and the fact that you can now have this mix of zero one allows you to construct a very large sort of space of possibilities because Right, I have this this full range of zero and ones that I between zero and ones that I can use. Mm -hmm. But if I add several qubits to it, you can imagine that that sort of space of 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 possibilities right. that you end up with that increases exponentially. Mm -hmm. um, so with you know very uh, little amount of qubits, you can reach a very sort of large computational space in which I can find solutions. And it's those states that in the end, so you construct a quantum state in which you do these computational things. And it's that state that then in the end has to be transmitted to another place. And that's where, the, where, the, where this communication comes in. And my feeling is that, let's say, to achieve uh, these quantum states right now, you can't have a normal environment. So we just passed by, you had something yeah. called, let's say, like a fridge-like, you know, going down to, to zero. Uh, Degrees and is that because it has to have a certain environment for this to work, or how does yeah. how does that work? Yeah, good question. Because you would just you know say, okay, why don't I just make a couple of these states and start computing? Right, mm -hmm. easy, sounds easy enough. I also now have quantum bits that I can use and store, and I have a hard disk in my backpack. Right, it's it's not it doesn't sound hard. These quantum states are extremely fragile in that sense. They're very engineered to to have the properties that I want. Mm -hmm. But they have the problem that the fact that I have interacted with them to get them to the point where I want them to be also means that other parts of a chip or sort of anything in the surroundings can also interact with that state. Mm -hmm. And all interaction with that state requires it to yeah, basically add an error to it. And an error that I may or may not be able to sort of see and see that it has an error. And if I don't see it, then at some point I lose the information that's in my, in my quantum bit. Yeah, so it compromises it and then you can't work with yeah, it because exactly. of that. Yeah, basically. And the timeline, the time frames at which you can uh, think of that differ between different uh, applications of, of quantum bits. Mm -hmm. uh, but they now, nowadays range sort of anything in between 100 microseconds to milliseconds or seconds that's mm -hmm. sort of the, the different applications that they have a range of, of how, how good they can store information and for how long they can store it and if you take the 100 microsecond one that's it's really short right mm -hmm. uh, in our world 100 microseconds is ages uh, because we do stuff on nanosecond level mm -hmm. uh, so that's uh, that's uh, 10 to the 5 
nanoseconds, right? So there's a lot of time, 10,000 uh, nanoseconds that I can use, or sorry, 100,000. But um, still, you know, if I, if I want to do a computation that requires a week, then 100 microseconds is not enough. So it's indeed that these, these states, they need to be protected, mm-hmm. and therefore they require sort of a very stable and very quiet environment, and that's what you see, what you saw in those fridges, and you can Google them uh, if you if you look at fridges or sort of quantum chips from Google and IBM. They have really good sort of pictures of what that internally looks like, mm-hmm. um, and they go to uh, 15 millikelvin. It's almost absolute zero temperature. Uh, you don't want any thermal influences. You don't want any magnetic influences. No electrical influence. It's all very sort of stable environment, engineered to be extremely stable and only react to what we send in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's a very it, you control all the variables to make sure that it works. And yeah. do you foresee that we're going to be able to make this work in a normal environment anytime soon? Uh, I wouldn't say anytime soon, and anytime soon being in the next uh, five to ten years that these high performance computing things that are happening now they happen indeed at this fifteen millikelvin. So there's no computer even like you know with very uh, very little computational power that runs on qubits that works out of this environment mm, now i feel like i'm being put on the spot because <laughs> i mean there's so no many there's so many but um probably I, not i dare to say that they're not mm-hmm. uh, but there are there are very but these are very specific applications where you Use a certain platform where where mm. room, where room temperature level does require you to do some things, um, but uh, it's very rare. And if you can do it now, uh, you won't be able to do much. So yeah, and yeah, anything yeah. that's now useful and up to sort of a level that you that you let's say cutting edge, you mm-hmm. require this low temperature. And even the chips that uh, that that Google, IBM have, they require something called superconductivity. Uh, which means that uh, it's a very specific thing, but uh, it's a, a property of a, of metal uh, that changes to having no electrical resistance mm-hmm. below a certain temperature, mm-hmm. and it requires that just like that, right? We said that the quantum states are very fragile; they don't like heat or they don't like resistance in general. Of, of you know, they, they need to be able to roam sort of free but protected. Mm-hmm. That's where the superconductivity comes in. You have no resistance. You have no. It's a very stable, stable environment. Yeah, that's a, and and I guess I, when I was just digging on this in my own time, just that whole concept of entanglement was super fascinating. So, mm-hmm. like across different distances, it doesn't matter. Like these, on the fundamental level, are connected, right? Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah, on the fundamental level, they are the same state. Mm. So they, I always see it as a sort of spread out. It, it's one thing. So it's, I know it's really, it, it, takes, it takes any physicist years to sort of try to form a good, a clear idea of this. And then still, if I don't think about it for, for a couple months, then you still have to, you know, reach back and like, okay, but well, what is it really? I always envision it as, as if these, as if this quantum state is sort of spread out over this arbitrary distance that you talk about. So, mm-hmm. and that is easy to imagine when it's, really close together when it's like nanometers apart because then you think oh it's just it's the same thing yeah exactly but as soon as it's 20 kilometers away yeah it's really hard to imagine what even how are they even how how are they connected how are they the same how are how do they form one entity basically Mm -hmm. um 
but yeah, that, that really is the case. And we, we've proven that that is what it is. And this is the, the fundamental property of nature uh, that we try to, again, sort of bend to our will because um, the, that entanglement really doesn't want to be there mm-hmm. in a way. But we force it to and we keep it there for a limited amount of time um, and, then, and then use it, right? So then what happens if you then observe one side, that entanglement goes away. Mm-hmm. So you force then the other Right, we talked about in this sort of the superposition because they're they're correlated. Mm-hmm. That if I look at one and I, I get a measurement outcome, that I know that the other one will have the same gone state in the other, yeah, or in, at least in a correlated state. Oh, right? okay, it could yeah. be the same or another, as long as it's always it's always the same mm-hmm. type of either this one is plus and that one's minus, yeah, or yeah, yeah. up and down, and it's always a, mm-hmm. a correlated system. Um, but this entanglement, that is what what gives you uh, gives you that communication power, and people rarely or sorry, people often think that it allows you to do faster than light communication because it's sort Mm. of entanglement also allows teleportation, something like that. And these terms, we hear them thrown around in in sci-fi and in all these these areas. But unfortunately, communication faster than light is is impossible. Mm. Uh, At least uh, as far as we know now, fingers crossed. But the... uh, uh, that that, that fundamental that fundamental part of the boundaries in which we can work still holds. So, and, and do you entertain some of these sci-fi ideas in terms of teleportation and the likes? I mean, I, I think increasingly we see some of the stuff that we thought was impossible. It's starting to be possible. I mean, uh, what what are some things that let's say you tell people and they're just like, no way that that's possible or that could be possible? Yeah, maybe, maybe I can already tell you that. I mean, we we do state teleportation, so mm-hmm. we do. We we prepare a certain uh, this certain level of quantum state, a certain information, and then we teleport it to a different location instantaneously. And that's the thing, and that's that's what I uh, what I uh, what I mentioned before is that it's not in in a sense instantaneous, but not really because I still need to send over part of the information in order for you to understand what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in the end, you're still capped by the light travel. So I still need to send. You know, I still need to shout to you or I need to send you a message mm-hmm. or just send light with it or something that, you know, is within this boundary of the fast and light, uh, sorry, within the boundary of the right. light speed. So, Which is another fundamental rule. I guess here exactly. we, we, we cannot, you know, uh, break these rules. So it, it, it makes yet. sense. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, never say never, but uh, no. Not yeah, not I yet. think over time, I mean, a lot of the things that we know over time will, it's maybe we're going to find different perspective or we're going to find new information and we alter the theories. But from what we know so far, uh, it's fair to say it's capped at the speed of light, right? Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. That, that, that's one's been pretty strong so far. Yeah, like exactly. It's, uh, no, but it's funny because I don't think in the end, usually uh, physics laws aren't broken, but more like circumvented, I feel mm-hmm. like. So if there are things that we previously thought weren't possible, then usually it's because something happens that's outside of the scope of what we've described it, of it so far. Mm. We used to think that the that, that time wasn't relative, meaning that if I travel really fast, then my clock goes slower than yours, meaning that I age mm-hmm. not as fast as you do, but with respect to each other. And it's that, that relatively that, that we didn't think existed before Einstein described it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not that that we didn't think it was sort of possible but it just added a layer of right physical law theory to it so uh, mm-hmm. and then yeah so far faster than light travel is not uh, or travel or even travel of information or travel of, of people 
that we think definitely has that. But if I can uh, poke a hole in the uh, space-time continuum, maybe it's possible because mm-hmm. I'm not. Then I don't. Then I'm not adhering to the laws of that this space-time that is, that's around us describes. So maybe I can step out of that. Yeah. So that that's kind of what I mean. So that. on, you can, on you this note. So I, I, you know, I find your fields fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many open questions. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah. you, you, you probably, you know, at the end of the work, you know, when you, or let's say, you know, one week, a month, a year in, you have more questions than answers probably. Daily. You know? Yeah, they, exactly. Daily, yeah. <laughs> so I, I find that quite nice. I mean, you, you, and I think it go ties back into the curiosity aspect of it. I mean, you have to be curious to, to, to continue to ask the right questions and seek the, the answers. Yeah. Um, and on this note, I'm curious, um, can you tell us about, let's say, a myth that's about, let's say, about your field or so that you want to debunk that maybe some people, uh, maybe some of our audience, uh, they have just from listening to the media or their friends about quantum? Like, what what is a myth that you would like to debunk? Yeah, that's a good one. I think we, we touched upon a couple already. So, uh, like, uh, physical teleportation of people. You hear teleportation, so it's not physical teleportation right. of people, but teleportation of quantum states or of information. So that's, I think, uh, but that's maybe more of a funny thing. Like, I don't think anyone actually thinks that you can teleport a person yet. Um, uh, I think a, a big myth we talked about in the beginning with computing, right? That it's it's not a, a one-stop solve mm-hmm. thing for everything. People think that they will have a quantum computer in their hand that that with a with a with a push of a button, I can uh, I can get a personalized medicine from it that will fix me for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely not the case. And um, I don't know if, if this is what the general consensus already is, but um, uh, quantum computing is really hard. Mm-hmm. And this field is, is really uh, is just starting. Even though the theory has been around for literally 120 years, uh, the actual engineering applications at the level that we see now is, is just getting started. And for anyone you know, expecting that, that there will be a functioning uh, uh, quantum computer sort of, yeah, of, with millions of qubits mm-hmm. in, in the next five years is, is sorely mistaken. Yeah. And that's okay, right? It's not, you know, I, I don't want to have to... Sometimes I'm a bit afraid that we're sort of running with this marketing machine of like, we need to that this field always requires more engineering and more innovation that, innovation and more right. funds to do that. Um, but you can't promise, uh, uh, or I mean, n- nobody does really, but we can't expect from this field that mm-hmm. it will be sort of already yeah, 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 done I, in like five to 10 years. And I guess that's why, I mean, it's, to be honest, it just needs time and investment. And I just even artificial intelligence and thing, things as such, it had its time period where it was let's say things were developing at a rapid pace and people long time ago were talking about how that's going to accelerate and you know things will change quickly but truthfully it's gonna take time like even now let's say the algorithms are the same but we can just process a lot more data right and over time yes we're going to get to something that resembles general artificial intelligence but it's it's far into the future at least as it uh, uh, seems now but there are very specific applications that are uh that are, let's say, that have a lot of potential. I guess that's going to be the same thing for for quantum tech, right? Totally. And, you know, I think it ties into, because, I mean, obviously I don't know how life was uh, 50 years ago, but um, 
I honestly think it ties into the fact that that you know because we're so interconnected and because information travels so quickly that we have the feeling that everything moves quicker. Mm-hmm. At least I do. At least you know I don't know how 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 this is also for the older generation if they had the same feeling back then. But everything moves quicker and also our expectations need to be satisfied earlier right mm-hmm. and, and sooner all the time uh but if you if you look at the development of the computer or development of the internet you know the computer is like is, is really sort of 70 years old at this point and the internet is actually still relatively young so it already mm-hmm. was quicker but let's call it 25 years you know mm-hmm. order of so that's already half the problem is that um uh that level of speed up is not sustainable mm-hmm. right because if now let's say you we go in the order of every time uh we 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 speed up with a factor of 2 right so it's 50 years for computer 25 for the internet 10 years for quantum no that, or, that's already yeah 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 right or maybe 10 years for artificial intelligence it's also mm-hmm. not going to happen so th- there's definitely a limit to that and especially when you move into different fields. So when you move into something that's orders of magnitude harder. Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence, really hard. I don't think anyone has the, the path to a solution yet, right? In, in, in general. The same thing for for quantum computation. So it's and and quantum internet for that as well. So it's it's um So people should yeah. have reasonable expectations, uh, yeah. but also be curious about it because I think once we do have certain breakthroughs or even just the specific applications that have potential over this coming decade. I think those are very exciting. For sure, because it's not something that happens on its own. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. I, we, exactly. You need people like you and me talking about it. I, you need you need sort of world leaders also interested in that and 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 making sure that it's sort of a, a path that you can uh, yeah, that you can follow and that 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 needs education and funding and 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 the, hopefully, and that that's an industry that that's rising up, but that a quantum industry is also mm-hmm. uh, very important, obviously, because uh, it's cool that we do stuff in the lab, but it needs to be uh, economically viable as well to do so at the right, end of the day. Right, and I think maybe at this point, uh, there's not as much funding as there should be for something of this, because, because let's say there's not some immediate gratification or economic benefit from, from a business or... Th- for some, there are, but uh, there's to, to kind of pour a lot of money into it and develop that, uh, right? So let's say funding is probably an issue to some extent. Yeah, and it, at least it's not necessarily an an issue, but don't respect a, a return on your investment. Yeah, now, now exactly. in 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 two years, right? That that's not the case, uh, and especially you see this with with these larger companies as well, with the technology companies that you know they they have to throw heaps of money at it, but expecting that in the long run. Of course, it's definitely going to pay off. Um, and luckily, now you know in in Europe we're doing actually also really well with the with the quantum flagship program that they announced uh, a couple of years ago. Um, that distributes funds across Europe for quantum technologies mm-hmm. to be to be developed, and that's already a really good start. Uh, I think all major uh, world economics are are, are sorry um, major. Uh, let's call it countries or mm-hmm. I mean China and US let's just call them um they also fund this uh actively and i think now it's a race to who who get there well, i won't say first but who will get the lead in building an industry around this or building a technological advantage around this 
but I and I think we're doing really good, but I don't want to lose momentum. So mm -hmm. I think that's always a problem with these rising fields, and you you kind of see this with all things that become maybe a hype, but also have actually do have some long-term benefit if you do it well. That the initial interest and funds are relatively high, but as soon as it doesn't pay off immediately, you don't want to lose momentum because you know that the that the uh, that the potential is there. You just need to get it out, but you need more people also to do it, more time spent on it in order to right, get right. The momentum is important. I mean, yeah. and and things do lose momentum. I mean, again, artificial intelligence is one. I mean, for for a good number of years, uh, it was out of favor in the sense that it wasn't very interesting for people. No, uh, and then now, you know, now every i think the statistic was every three and a half months uh the money spent on machine learning doubles so that's pretty exponential uh, at least yeah. that, and and so and now people are taking an interest in it again but it actually went through ups and downs probably maybe three different phases of uh renewed optimism and funding and so so things right. go for these cycles but if you can keep the momentum going uh then you know good things happen faster uh, i think uh, but going to let's say actually can, is there a link between what quantum can do and artificial intelligence? Yeah, to me there is. Um, because one of the other things that a quantum computer is really good at is uh, solving uh, matrices, mm -hmm. uh, math matrices. And that really is all that machine learning is as well. It's just gathering a whole lot of information and run it through a circuit of matrices in the end of the day mm. and outrolls a response. Um, but it's also that building of the network and sort of that training of the network is now something that's computationally very intensive. Mm -hmm. That's right. And a eventually, and, and a quantum computer is interestingly enough, just by design, just by, by the fact that it's the properties that it uses, uh, it's really good at solving matrices and and uh, doing math operations on these matrices. And that's all that this, that a machine learning algorithm at the end of the day with training or your computational unit does is solving math problems. Um, so I think that really ties in well. And this, this is the field that, uh, that, that is then called quantum machine learning mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that sort of split into two things um, where you either use um, machine learning to help build a better quantum computer. So it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. So you use what's already there. You can try to optimize chips or you try to optimize designs or you know, sort of try to make it better in that sense because maybe there are solutions that, uh, that you haven't thought of. We, we actually have a running pilot from, uh, from a, a colleague, uh, Matteo, of mine who built a uh, or trained a, a neural net on a simulated system such that we can control our experiment better. Right, so that's also some right. This is mm -hmm. already sort of quantum machine learning, even though we don't like to call it that because it's relatively simple still. But it's using machine learning to do our quantum experiments better. Uh, but the other way around is is what we just mentioned: is that then I can use quantum computers to enhance machine learning in that sense. Yeah, that's very exciting. Uh -huh. How are how are you thinking about artificial intelligence? Is this something that you are also fascinated about and maybe looking into? Or maybe it's on the periphery, or you're just watching it. How? Yeah, I, I think I'm watching it from a distance because I'm. I always keep an eye out for the, for the quantum aspect of it, just mm. because I feel like I can understand that much better. Um, 
but it's definitely something that that has proven to have really good use cases and examples where where machine learning in general is being used uh although i personally don't like throwing out throwing around the word artificial intelligence so much mm-hmm. because to me uh yeah maybe because i'm more used to the math in that sense that i don't really see it as an intelligence but just as a as a smart setup of yeah 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 of of math no right, i I, com- I, i completely resonate with you in the sense that like the algorithms haven't gotten that much better what yeah. have you know we are able to feed a lot more data into it right and get better results but like fundamentally you know have we are these intelligent you know it's just we can you know now we can process a lot a lot more a lot faster and we have a lot more data to do to to feed those algorithms so they're better yeah but fundamentally you know these are not machines that are uh, learning and taking uh let's say unstructured data and kind of making something out of that in a meaningful way and they're not thinking outside of their specific uh set of right problems that they can solve yeah. so you know would you call that artificial intelligence or just you know very good algorithms and very good data processing problems that we you know we can solve i think i think that's let's say that's i guess up to to you to see whether you would define that as artificial yeah intelligence. It's, it's almost more a philosophical question than uh, yeah. i guess an applied question in that sense but it's uh no, you're right it's definitely yeah at some point you're in a gray area and you don't know yet that you're in a gray area mm-hmm. i guess Uh, and then maybe at some point you are but uh, i i think is that it's that active component that i feel like is always missing so it's always people at the end of the day that steer right steer algorithms in a certain way mm-hmm. and i think that's fine because i i definitely think that uh that the the, the brain is still one of the be- best computers that we have around mm-hmm. uh, although it's really bad at some things and then uh, the machine learning takes over Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, think, and <laughs> I think the combination we have is still pretty good. I think so, right? So the yeah. concept of collective intelligence and that the fact that we can actually do things better than machines and machines can do better things than us, and you know, together if we are able to integrate, we can do. We can do. The outcome is much better than if either one was right. trying to do it at go at it alone. It's a bit comforting because nowadays, you know. It's all the talk that let's say machines are going to replace us, or that machines are going to um, that they're just going to be better than us on a lot of different aspects. But you know, arguably, at least for the coming for the foreseeable future, ten, twenty, thirty years, I would say maybe even uh, you know my lifetime. That's a lot more, but hope it, so. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it, maybe who knows, eighty years or so. But yeah, yeah. I feel like probably we're going to increasingly integrate with these machines and. Sure, yeah find the balance i do find it difficult to see but although breakthrough could change that let's say general artificial intelligence and then mm-hmm. we move to a completely different area where um you know things we can't even imagine you know uh, could be possible you know are possible but that's again an abstraction and people talk a lot about that how are you thinking about general artificial intelligence you you think that's far into the future how how are you thinking about it you know some people look at it as You know, once that happens, uh, robots will just kind of continue continuously improve themselves exponentially, and we're going to lose control. Not to say it's going to be good or bad, but we're going to lose control. Um, how are you thinking about that? Well, it's um, actually um, to tie into this a bit. 
because I, I will I will try to answer your specific question. But uh, what I always found really funny is that many years ago I read this sci-fi book, and uh, it was about part of it was about that, and this was you know taking place many years in the future, whatever two hundred three hundred years, where uh, the whole point of the book was that they they. Um, tried for decades, humans tried for decades to build an artificial intelligence and they threw sort of every resource they had at it and they failed. And they realized sort of that it wasn't possible. Uh, and then what they tried instead was that they uh, instead threw all those resources at augmenting the brain pretty much with a computer mm. and realized that, that that's so much more beneficial than trying to make artificial intelligence but to enhance the intelligence that's already there. Pretty much, right? Just like we said before, our brain is really bad at certain things. Sometimes I feel like, you know, also your body does certain things that you can't control, even though it's weird because you're you're the body, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe it's much better in order to add a computational unit to it that can do all the other things that I cannot, and therefore I have this perfect unison already. Uh, so I I really like that approach because it's sort of at some point. Uh, uh, it, it explores the possibility of what if it isn't possible, then what are we even doing right now? Should we focus on other things maybe? Of course, I think in the real world here, we already do things simultaneously. We already try to augment the brain. We already try to build artificial intelligence. It doesn't have to be one or the other, in, uh, in my opinion. Um, but okay, let's, let's put that aside. So let's say it is possible. That's fine. And it's many, many years down the line, hopefully. Or maybe not. Hopefully, that's, I, that, that's I, the question. I, I would I would say hopefully because if it does spiral a lot of control, or at le or at least we have to build it responsibly. Like we have to understand why are we building it, not just build things to, for the sake of building. I mean, we've been doing a lot of that, but also build with purpose and build in a way that is going to lead to to a good outcome. Uh, you know, not to mutually assured destruction, or right. who knows, maybe we can weaponize this, or you know. I think if we build it, this is something that I hope personally is going to be built a bit slowly, slowly, slowly so that we can build it in the right way. Right. I'll, I'll put it that way because uh, it, it sounds like it could be very powerful. Sure. And I think, I, I think the, the building slowly will not be a problem because yeah. it's such a hard problem. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so I think it's fine. Uh, but uh, I'm also not entirely hopeful uh, in, in the sense that uh, people haven't really proven to do well in crises in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. Uh, I I don't think that uh, you can expect people to be extremely responsible with this in the long run, right? And there'll definitely be a, a, as with all things in life, I feel like definitely people will be extremely responsible, and then there will those who won't be. And now there's the question that those who won't be, how detrimental will the influence of them be on the rest of the world, right? Uh, and I think that we that's always the the battle between good and evil, between having good security and then a hacker trying to circumvent the security. Mm -hmm. And so far, the, the the battles have been pretty uh, pretty fifty fifty in that sense. Yeah, that, pretty that fierce as well. Pretty fierce, but no no extreme casualties. One or the other side, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure if something like this can tip the scales. One or the other, if one side has sort of an an edge an edge or a, an, a level of, of absolute power that the other refuses to use is, you know, one of those strange scenarios mm -hmm. um, where where uh, ethics are being uh, violated left and right. But 
but one side refuses to. So you feel like, let's say, the humans are going to be the problem of how they put this to use more than the algorithm itself will improve itself exponentially and then just going to maybe even, let's say, the way we've built it has inherent biases or it starts, let's say, taking what we tell it to do and then just takes it to a whole new level. Or how, So what are some of the things that you're saying that you're like, yeah, like that's something we should keep an eye out for? No, I, I think in general people we understand ourselves too little mm-hmm. <laughs> to to try to project those same ideals on something that we've created mm-hmm. it's already hard enough i feel like i don't know I, I don't have children but i already feel like it's hard enough trying to raise children well right it's not a an easy task and already that is a sort of an, 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 I wouldn't say an artificial intelligence, but a intelligence that you have to bring exactly. up, but it can make its own choices. And, uh, but I feel like for something so specific as something that we have engineered, I'm not sure, I'm, I, I don't trust <laughs> the humanity in that sense to, to do well enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I, know that's a, I know that sounds a bit pessimistic maybe, because there are also many things, of course, that, that humans do extremely well and compassionate that, that you don't see other... Uh, even animal species mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. as much as we do. So there are definitely parts of that. But that's, I think, where we come back to this this good and bad side, right? There, for sure, you can, you would be able to uh, beneficially use it, but you have to believe in believe in the goodness of people in order to... Uh, yeah, so are you worried about this or not really? It seems just too far into the future. Yeah, I'm not worried. Not yet. Because I think there was an interesting perspective uh, on it where he's... Um, I think yeah I'm not I'm not exactly sure who but essentially was talking at like like you should be worried why because even if this is you know 300 400 500 years down the line like the consequences are so great that we have to start working on it now essentially if someone you know aliens came down and told you you know 500 years you know we're going to be invading the planet right you know you would worry and you would you know prepare for it very thoroughly but when we talk about artificial intelligence, because it's so abstract and so far into the future, it just never, it doesn't even feel like, you know, focus on the present, focus on solving real problems. And then, you know, eventually, hopefully we're going to, you know, make good use of it. But I think the other perspective is that, let's say, uh, it, it does have, if it does have that exponential potential, I think the idea is basically this. We're, if we're going to keep improving, which we will because it's just human nature and because there's so much benefit from doing that. Yeah. So if we keep down the road that we have, which is even if it's incremental, even if it's even if it's super incremental, mm-hmm. like it's going to take us 500 years to get there. Yet if we if you do believe that eventually we will crack the code and we will have this, uh, you know, then the idea is you should be worried about it because even because we will keep doing that and even if it's incremental, it's going to take time. But once we will. If we don't develop it the right way and if we don't have the right system and to deal with and if we don't start working on it now, then down the road it's going to spiral out of control and it's going to have huge repercussions. You know, that let's say that's the other side of the story. I mean, myself, let's say from a business perspective, I think it makes sense to be practical and focus on the problems that we have here and, and deal with those and uh, kind of just do your role in that aspect and just, you know, be responsible about it. But I thought that was, let's say... Um, that's the other perspective and Elon Musk and the likes you know they entertain us and they feel very worried about let's say what could happen once this takes off 
and on Elon Musk actually. So uh, two things. Well, first thing, he was. I had a podcast with Mark Kurodin early this year. He works uh, in in the government, and he had this perspective. Let's say that kind of ties in with what Elon Musk is saying that we're feeding these networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these networks, our data. Um, and essentially programming, collectively programming the artificial intelligence of the future. Let's say that was, let's say, the what Marco brought up and ties in with Elon, and Elon uh, kind of did say that that would collectively program the AI. And how do you, do you feel comfortable with that? Like, do you feel like we're feeding all these uh, small but powerful, small group but very powerful companies our data, and are you comfortable with that? Uh, no, not <laughs> at all. No, and and I think uh, I think a growing number of people feel the same way, especially when it happens without active consent, right? So that, mm-hmm. I think that's most of the issue is that some people don't aren't bothered by by huge data collecting, um, but I think most of them would like to be told that it happens. And I think this is what one of the, of course, the big revelations was when when Edward Snowden blow the whistle uh, blew the whistle on this sorry um that people were shocked that it was happening and everyone was like okay maybe i knew but i wasn't i, I didn't know it was on this scale and, and this level i think that that the level of that the amount of people that consent to this amount of data taking is shrinking but not entirely sure if there's anything that they do or I mean they definitely can do but if they actually do something to prevent it from happening there are a lot of tools available to do so uh, but I'm not sure many people actually do yeah and I, I think another another point he brought up that I thought was quite interesting because I myself didn't think about it that way so it's one thing to say individually be concerned about your data which is increasingly people are more aware and taking action in that sense you know I try to use a browser that you know, hides my stuff, and I try to consciously think about the, what I'm putting out there. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, an increasing amount of people are doing that. But then there's also the, let's say, the other side of the thing, which is not you as an individual, but collectively with yeah. what can they do to, let's say, skew the election, or how can they kind of manipulate data that they have on a lot of people and groups of people and use that against you. And then, of course, over the long term, you know, are we kind of feeding these algorithms and kind of like, is this going to bite us back, you know, far into the future? But then I guess these are just harder to deal with, you know, these collectivist type of problem versus my own. You know, I can take care of what I put out there. But I think in terms of the collective side of the things, you know, it's just about making people aware of it. And um, I think everyone can take a few steps to just be more mindful of what they put out there and then. I guess that's what we can do. And then also having discussions and holding uh, these organizations accountable. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably what we what we can do, right? Yeah, I mean, in the end of the day, you know, if you want everyone to enjoy the level of freedom, at least that, that, that we have, I don't think that there isn't really a way uh, besides letting people still make their own choices. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if they want to... Uh, give all their data to the artificial overlords. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe you don't want to do that, but maybe somewhere down the hall doesn't, does want to, mm-hmm. or at least uh, maybe doesn't mind. Maybe that's a different right. thing. Maybe not everyone wants to actively do this, but maybe they don't mind it happens. 
don't think we can do much than sort of indeed you just know educate if, if we're all basically. aware of what's happening oh that's true yeah indeed. i think then then yeah it just goes where it goes because from the from from economic principles in general already that mm-hmm. it, it's it's go somewhere what the collective decides to 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 do or to go to yeah yeah uh, i've also you know actively actively used uh, uh facebook for uh, for a long time mm-hmm. but uh at some point i also kind of i stopped right mm-hmm. in that sense because i became more conscious became more educated um so then i guess and, it's, yeah. it's just let's say what we can do is just educate people help them understand that uh it's yeah, going to have an okay impact. I, but maybe maybe if i if i play devil's advocate right mm-hmm. do is it enough that do, do we then maybe then we come back to do we trust people to then make still the right choice in mm-hmm. the sense that then we have decided maybe a bit what is the right choice right if if we have decided okay this huge data collecting is wrong and we don't want we don't want to be part of that yeah we don't we don't want to be part of that but maybe we don't we don't want others to be part of that as well because maybe i will be in the end influenced by Mm-hmm. you know what happens down the by line. their actions yeah, exactly. or down the line and maybe they're negatively influenced but they just don't know it yet mm-hmm. but then i make a judgment right then i already decide this is bad and i should want to prevent others from attributing to that yeah 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 i mean it's and that, it, that's a tough question it's a tough I, question i'm not sure it, if i have the answer to that it, it's the same as let's say wearing masks nowadays the governments that let's say have imposed masks on its population and everyone wears it you know it works because of that <clears throat> masks would not work if if you make it voluntary and you know i'm wearing one but you're not uh also because these are just very light so they kind of just mostly protect you from me if i wear it so if but every everyone wears it then you kind of lower the risks like quite substantially think here as well like if some people continue to feed the algorithms and that's going to have let's say a, an impact on the collective level uh because of things that you know those organizations can do with the data even if they don't intentionally do it uh you know then I, then it's going to ha- essentially compromise my freedom right and so then then there's a question you know countries like china would would be happy to answer that and they just say you know we just tell them exactly what to do and we set the rules but then you in the netherlands we live on completely the other side of the spectrum uh in the nordics here and where you know it's you know people have their own choice so i think eventually will uh people have a choice as they as they do here uh and we don't know what that outcome will be but at least on a personal level we we you know we take comfort in knowing that hey we are protecting you know we're doing what feels right to us, you know. Right, and uh, that's something that I wanted to to uh, to comment on before from what you said is that, like, okay, maybe if down the line something something is influenced by what we do now, I mean, it definitely will. But you say mm-hmm. let's be conscious, and maybe in five hundred years, you know, maybe we should act now. That's mm-hmm. what you, sort of uh, the angle that you took. What I find so difficult about that is that how would I know? what influence it has later what what i do now what sort of influence it has later maybe i think i'm doing the right thing in the end it won't maybe it's the other way around maybe it is the right way mm-hmm. uh there are so many variables that come into play especially in tens of years hundreds of years that we have no clue about or even in a sense that again humans are pretty bad at extrapolating what happens with certain policies mm-hmm. that you do or certain choices that you make daily so even though it yeah, that's really hard of of being a person <laughs> in yeah. general, I guess, of like, okay, 
dealing with all of- these things, you know, 10, 50, 100 years down yeah. the line. I mean, we're just not made for that, like yeah, fundamentally. For sure. yeah. So actually, the, the, in fact, uh, I, I read an article recently that talked essentially, you know, why are these sustainability initiatives or some of the things that we're trying to do, why are they not working? Because people need to see like right. an immediate result. impact yeah. a result in their life yeah. where they know that like, you know, the action I'm taking today has an impact yeah. and they have to be able to see and feel that. And, you know, maybe there's ways to go about that. Uh, but certainly, uh, yeah, sustainability, of course, that you feel that a lot more and it's, you know, it's around you. Uh, and increasingly people are being aware of it. But I, yeah. I think that's the fundamental problem. I mean, people need some sort of feedback loop that is not 100 years down the line. For sure. To, for for yeah, yeah. this to work totally. and for people to build that into their habit. Yeah. And right now it's mostly my paranoid friends that, you know, go full on and try to like, you know, make sure uh, 10, 20 years down the line, you know, they don't have like a complete profile of them and they can't, you know, uh, use that against against them. But uh, at the end of the day, that's all you can do now. I guess. Exactly. Just try to make try to make the right choice of what you think it uh, there is. And, and that's the, the beauty then again of people is that I right. feel like we're really good problem solvers in general. Mm-hmm. So if if shit hits the fan. Then I think we'll always find a way to solve it. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. Eventually, 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 we will find yeah. it. I mean, this this is we're in that constant stream of of creating and solving a, a different problems, and yeah. uh, I guess that's that's what makes it uh, really nice to be human in the first place. You know, you are especially yeah. you're working your ass off solving all all sorts of big problems. So that yeah, and and, and it's funny because we we say that okay, it's really hard to determine what happens in many years, but I mean, I'm not doing this. Uh, to get results in a, in a right. year, but I'm doing this because I hope and I expect that I can have a certain specific and hopefully impactful influence in the next five to ten years, mm-hmm. so and maybe beyond that. It, so I'm I'm personally like I I need let's say some sort of quick feedback loop, let's say myself. I mean I'm fine. Let's say if I start working something you know, that I know will pay down, you know, ten years down the line, I'm okay with that. Right. But I do need to see some things. In between to kind of get, get me keeping keep me going. What about you? Like, how do you stay motivated knowing that, let's say, you know, this might pay off long into the future? How do you, on a daily basis, stay curious and motivated to keep doing what you do? Yeah, yeah that's a good question because sometimes I think it's a bit uh, a bit vague for 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 external parties not in this field to understand what we do. Of course, on a daily right. basis, it's really hard to explain. I guess. Uh, but uh, just as any other type of work, we we have, just like you said, you know, we want results. You take your small victories. You're mm-hmm. curious about a certain problem that you want to tackle that day. Why don't I see a certain signal on my screen, even though I think everything that I've set it up to do should give me the signal? Mm-hmm. It's it's a super tiny problem, perhaps, but it will have, of course, a impact in the end. Yeah, so you break it down you into break it much down. smaller problems, yeah, yeah, yeah. and daily you have something that, let's say, exactly. you, you want to achieve, and you know that get, keeps you going because you know you 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 have small steps towards the bigger picture. That's exactly true. Yeah, and the larger steps that we take is that we, you know, we do research, and then at the end we 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 ask questions beforehand. We do the mm-hmm. research and then we get a result and we publish about the result. So that's usually in increments of like the level of year, say, that you that you get some gratification. Right, on, right, on, right, right. Okay, I've solved something and this is good. 
uh, as soon as it runs longer than years, then you run into issues, of course, mm -hmm. because yeah, that's that's tough. But sometimes it's for the for the greater purpose with this project as well. Like it had to be built up and has been building now for for almost two and a half years or so, and only now we're starting to see the result of that in the end of the day. And it just requires a lot of build up, a lot of I, foundation I, to get there. I think the good thing is, you know, you're super young, so you the runaway for you is long. And so you will eventually see the results of your work, like you will, you know, yeah. that that that's good, you know, that you, that you're so young, and and so you're gonna be able to keep working on it and see how it evolves over time. I think that's quite fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure. And uh, but it's it's definitely hard to to keep, uh, like like you said, how, how do you really stay motivated every day? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's it's back to that curiosity level. It's yeah. just those yeah. little problems that are extremely fascinating at the end of the day to me. Why I see what I see and why. Uh, and and when you've solved something, of course, it, it does feel nice. And mm -hmm. but there are definitely issues uh, with uh, trying to keep that attention span going sometimes. Uh, and then you, know, you just learn you have to force yourself to do so, or maybe take take a step back, mm -hmm. or discuss with some other people with interest in different fields, and maybe get some. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's always learning, always fine tuning, always, also yeah, yourself. Yeah. Let's say where you want to put your your energy and attention. For sure. So yeah. let's kind of like rewind just for you. You know, so how long have you, let's say, been on this career path? Yeah, um, um, in terms of years, it's a bit strange. So, uh, in the sense that I, um, uh, I think as as when I started my masters is when I really decided to mm -hmm. to pursue this path fully, and then I took a little bit of a detour um, because I I uh, co-founded the Delft Hyperloop team that's mm -hmm. here. That's a very much engineering project where we competed in the SpaceX Hyperloop pod competition mm -hmm. organized by uh, by Elon back then. We won that, and that was really exciting. That was very much engineering. But then I went back to my roots and uh, did sort of, I think in total, you can say like I spent, I spent like a year and a half, two years in the field of quantum computing, say. Uh, I did an internship also at Microsoft in the U.S. at the, uh, at the quantum architecture department. Uh, but that's uh, like three months or so. Um, and uh, and then now I've been in in this work for like a year in quantum mm -hmm. internet uh, related. So, uh, I, but it feels much longer to me that I've been in this field for some reason. Uh, I don't know entirely why that is, but uh, I feel very much at home. So I feel like I'm still very much at the start of this career, obviously, because I see people around me that are much further down the line mm -hmm. and have... Uh, uh, can have uh, um, or have a much larger sort of uh, influence in in the field like that. Uh, I feel like I'm daily like I'm lacking knowledge in every aspect, but that's also what drives me to be able to to learn more every day and want to learn more. But uh, I am very much convinced that this is where I want to uh, continue in the next yeah. So well, decades. okay. So two questions. First, I want to dig a bit. Uh, deeper in that hyperloop thing. Yeah, uh, I feel like we didn't give that enough attention. No, yeah, and don't, then, we don't need to. Uh, just, but, a, but we can. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the second thing, um, just what is one thing you wish you had, or maybe just a number of things that we you you wish you had known, you know, when you started your masters. You know, what would have you told yourself if you could uh, go back? Yeah, I think, I think in our Masters, or in general, what what in, in applied sciences in general isn't really 
appreciate it as much as in let's say the world of business mm-hmm. it's just networking and i mean between people and contacts and and talking to people and seeing what they do and understanding what what type of interconnectivity they have with other people or with mm-hmm. other industries um because we we like to be very you know we we here like to be very unambiguous and pure and like okay i write down the facts and this is the facts and you know mm-hmm. i can discuss with you about facts but not about opinions because if we talk about opinions in this field then you know <laughs> the cat's out Shit the breaks like, down yeah, exactly. i mean yeah <laughs> cannot do this i cannot argue about the measurement value if i have a different opinion so but and this is something that i feel like uh, isn't taught enough really uh, that i came more into contact with as soon as i sort of I had a I had a couple other people at at RSM that I talked to before, mm-hmm. and then I visited a couple times, and it just that kind of opened my eyes a bit more to like the world of the, what to me felt more like the real world of how do people do business in general because that's what I feel like that's in the end what drives an economy. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me much more perspective on how to keep in touch with people, how to see more relations between things in the real world to right me. right right because this is so fundamental in that sense even though it's applied but it's 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 a small bubble mm-hmm. that i feel like exists a bit outside of society we yeah all, and, we all lean on it a bit right because we know at some point it's going to do something yeah, exactly cool but like it's not necessarily part of of this ecosystem of the rest of the world mm-hmm. and, and so you you just i guess now you're that networking aspect is important for you to connect to like-minded people or to other people with yeah, with different sure. perspective as well, yeah. and to kind of build out your your network, and then that's going to um, that op- gets gets you a much better sense of how the world is is working and and what what you can do within it. Then I say staying in that bubble, right? Yeah, for, totally, and and um, indeed, just like you said, I understand better where where all of this, what I do, also fits in. Society. Exactly, exactly, because it's sometimes hard to. Uh, to see from the lab. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you need, exactly. You need to talk to people in order to get there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then the first thing. So just just briefly, let's talk about that Hyperloop thing. Like how, yeah. how did it come to be? Like what? Yeah. Right. Like where do you take this initiative? How did it pop up? Yeah. So um, I uh, I did a year of courses uh, at the master's mm-hmm. and, uh, and I wasn't really feeling too ready to start a, a thesis work because that's already also pretty much a year. And then I noticed that there was a there was a group of, uh, of four guys, and they were looking for other people to join in participating in the Hyperloop competition. After Elon Musk made that announcement, like, "Hey, we're right. gonna we're gonna build a, a giant metal tube mm-hmm. and uh, student- frictionless trains." Sorry, right? the frictionless traveling. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, indeed, with the point, indeed, of like, okay, uh, student teams build vehicles that run into that run in a vacuum tube. Right. Uh, and with the idea of that in general, uh, that type of travel can be very much faster, more sustainable, that mm-hmm. sort of the whole improved travel in every, in every sort of way almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one's actually done it before and no one took the effort of building that really because it's sort of a long shot. Uh, and then, uh, then Elon uh, graced us with like, okay, we'll build the tube because that's the most expensive part and then we'll crowdsource all the pods that run into it mm-hmm. over student teams because usually student teams are pretty good at doing these sort of smaller but still bigger projects that do something new because we don't have any attachments we can, we yeah, can yeah, try yeah. and fail and no, nobody is bothered by it right exactly 
Uh, but we tried and we succeeded. So uh, that sort of came about. And I, I uh, and together with the five of us, we founded this Delft team then. Um, and we made our full new, new approach, a new design to what a Hyperloop could look like. And uh, then in the end, we participated in the competition. What's that competition? Like, what do you actually do there? So it's just a number of groups throughout the world submitted their design and their work. And, or how, how did it work? Yeah, so the, the process was that indeed we, we, had, we were allowed to make a, a reference design of what we thought in, in, in broad strokes uh, what a Hyperloop pod could look like, ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just went in, you know, you sort of have several deliverables of these milestones and then you're allowed to sort of pass into the next phase or not. That's sort of the, the way that went. So we got there. Then we made a very detailed design uh, so according to our specs that we brought on before. Like, okay, but now let's actually design it until the last bolt, until the mm-hmm. last, this is what the, what, it, what the pod looks like. This is all the data that we have. And we published a, what was it? Like a, literally a 300-page report on everything that went into it. So we, we, built, we, we made that report in like four months or so with like 15 Sounds people. Sounds very intense. It was really intense. But again, this curiosity, like, okay, never been done before. We did all the math. We did all the design. Um, then we came in uh, sort of in the second uh, place of the design competition of that, of that part of the, of the competition, the, the full competition, which was, already, was, which was also the ticket to like, okay, now you're allowed to build it and you're allowed to ship it to the U.S. and then participate in the, in the competition there. So we did that. We built that that pod in like uh, six months or so. The the this is funded by the university. N- no, so this is funded by uh, by us in the sense that uh, sponsorships and corporate sponsorships and ah. uh, yeah yeah really. So you also had to raise funding basically. Yeah yeah. So in the end, it's funny when you, when we look back at it, it felt like a or when we were doing it, it felt like a project. But looking back at it, it's pretty much a startup in the sense yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. At the start, we all put in 300 euros just to get some of, of the smaller components to start with, to, mm-hmm. to, to mess around with. Uh, and it's really funny. At the end, we, we were calling you know every company in the book pretty much, mostly related to the stuff that we needed, magnets, carbon fiber, electrical wiring, you know everything that, that comes with it. Uh, and very, very little people answered the phone, really. They were like... I, I literally called a magnet company because I, I designed a magnetic levitation system. And I asked, like, hey, I need a couple permanent magnets for this to work. Uh, and he literally told me, the guy like, who sold the magnets said, like, yeah, that doesn't sound real. That doesn't sound possible. You know, good luck, but bye. No right? way. Yeah, yeah, I hung up the phone. And I had <laughs> the phone in my hand, like, what is this? Because, like, I, and I even told him, I, I know this is real. I did the calculation, so please. Um, but luckily there were a couple other companies that did see the light and and understood what we were standing for and and that we had evidence for all that we were claiming that we could do and that got us started and then as soon as we got in uh, second place in the design competition then they started calling us you know so that's always how it goes that you have to prove yourself and then they would come to you like okay and then luckily we uh, we we had enough partners to uh to 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 get this pod ready and you think in the end uh we had like uh yeah 30 corporate sponsorships or so usually in terms of providing materials for 
what we were doing. So mm-hmm, like I said, mm-hmm. the carbon fibers and the magnets and and milling aluminum and like all those different parts that are very usually very expensive to buy from a company. Right. Because they require a lot of man hours or a lot of production costs that they would then donate to us. Right. So that yeah. let's say that that's the 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 funding was the components to the pot. Yeah. And and that's that's really cool, man. I think uh, it really shows that let's say you guys here are just so you love building. You know, you love seeing, and I, I, that that's Big that's really small. nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so you know that's the type of let's say feedback loop that also gets me excited. So I'm curious. Now you went from building something, you know, making it work, to research, basically a lot of research. Yeah, and, and like which one? do you feel more comfortable with? Like, where do you feel like you shine in terms of your own ways of working and personality and what drives you? And that's a, that's a funny question because I've obviously asked this question myself also because otherwise mm. I, I wouldn't know where to go. And um, I noticed that in, in, in both sides, I want a little bit of both. Mm. So when I was doing the Hyperloop engineering, I spent a lot of time researching and 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 not just math engineering it, but physically engineering um, the magnetic levitation system, for example. Uh, but I, I felt that there was a component there that I really enjoyed because of building something, but I was doing research yeah, also yeah, yeah. in it, right? The best of both worlds. Exactly. And I feel like the same I do now. So even though that this is definitely more oriented toward research side, right? most of the problems that you solve daily are, are engineering problems on a different level. It's not like I'm daily building something with my hands Mm -hmm. but i'm definitely controlling things that are i feel like are engineering right uh, i I don't invent new physics daily right but i use physics Mm -hmm. to do something for me and that's engineering and so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be putting so much time into this if i didn't think that uh, in the end uh, yeah there's a large engineering component to it and also something that is more tangible than doing fundamental physics research, which is right. very important, just not for me. Like, so it's, that's what I was trying to get, yeah. you know, to the bottom of. Like, yeah. are you, you know, hardcore research? Because you know, this is a new perspective on you from my, you know, from my side, where you have, you know, actually building the stuff, and it sounds very exciting. And I was just wondering to what extent you get some of that here as well. So it's good to hear that you you get to uh, the both best of both worlds. So I feel like that's a very nice mixture. Yeah, for sure. And the uh, this project, uh, we actually call it the, the the Q Quantum Link or Quantum Internet Demonstrator mm-hmm. because we want to demonstrate that an communication and internet is possible. And that makes it much more real life than anything else that yeah, exactly. I feel like is in this building. <coughs> uh, to me, at least. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very much... Yeah, we, we want to put this out in the world. We want to give people a new internet, right? And... You have to physically build it, and you have to engineer it. You also have to research how to do it well, obviously. Right. Otherwise, uh, super cool. So then, I, I guess, I, I mean, I think you know, people listening to this, I think they're very intrigued. What would you tell someone that is curious, or maybe even interested in starting a career like yours? Like, what would you tell them? Um, be okay with the fact that it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds, I, I don't want to pat my own back at all. It's just that I, f- I feel like if you, under, if you underestimate to start with that it's really hard, then it's too much. And it comes as a wave and you get, 
maybe discouraged because it's sort of yeah 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 it's a long road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a really fun road, at least to me. I get really excited about it uh, every day still. And if you if you take it step by step, you get there. So don't be afraid of of how difficult it looks, because you can always boil it down to smaller parts that you can understand, and then you take another step and another step, and then two steps back, and then one step forward. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you, you'll you'll definitely get there. Um, I also noticed that I uh, actually had a talk recently with someone who just started the masters mm. and was interested in in he approached me like, hey, um, I would like to know. Uh, what's your take on someone? In, this is really appropriate, actually. I just mm -hmm. realized that uh, he asked me this exact question, but then from his perspective. I also found it very difficult, of course, to give to someone else this specific advice. But I noticed that uh, that, that um, people who start in this field, uh, they have very little idea of what it is you actually do at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so they're just you fascinated can, by it and they just want to like work in it, but they don't know, let's say, what it takes or what it, what, no, what, what, daily... what what your daily work even entails right, exactly and i know that's maybe hard for for anyone starting a university and then understanding like okay but what is at the what is my job really well, at the end of the day um so I, i would encourage everyone to try to approach someone to explain more and maybe show you around of what it is that they do yeah exactly. on, a, on a daily basis it just gives you a lot more perspective of what it actually means Uh, although sometimes that may be also be a bit discouraging, and I don't want to <laughs> uh, discourage now anyone else, but um, because uh, it's hard to sometimes be fascinated by something that you, as a starting starting out, cannot fully understand yet, mm -hmm, right? So mm -hmm. I get super fascinated by just seeing like this tiny blip on my screen, right? Right. And I, I can because you know what it means. Exactly. And, you I, know? I know the context. I know how hard I work to get to that blip. And right. I know the consequences of this blip. Even though you can't really show it, of course, to someone who's just in the lab, and then yeah. see this extreme excitement about like this super, yeah, yeah, yeah. seemingly benign thing. Uh -huh. uh, but I, but I hope that even you know the fact that I talk about it and that you see in my face that I'm excited of what I'm doing, that maybe that rubs off a bit on someone who mm -hmm. starts mm -hmm. off. So, so, so you would say it's it's hard to describe what a daily, like what are you doing on a daily basis? That's hard to describe. So if I put you in a spot and I ask you like. You know, to to someone in the audience that's you know maybe interested in it, and you have to describe your day. Like, what would you say? I, I mean, obviously, I can definitely try. I'm just, uh, and and I will. Maybe it doesn't what, sound what, as interesting. Exactly, There's, that's what I mean. Like, it's really hard to to make that sound sexy in a way that would encourage someone to enter mm -hmm, this field mm -hmm. because it's always personally, it's this, it's this, this excitement that gets you going. And and if I if I w would want to describe what I do on a daily basis, it really is. <laughs> in a large denominator, you're bending physics to your will, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've said this a couple times now. Uh, but I do that by controlling a lot of electronics and machinery to do exactly what I want it to do at a certain moment in time. And I do this by writing software that then controls this machine and the machine controls in the end the physics. Mm -hmm. So it is a lot of, it is programming and in programming electronical machines to send out pulses or send out electricity in that sense to a, to a system that I then control. And I know, and that's of course the, 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 the recipe book, I know exactly what to do in what order in order to get a response from this physics to get a mm -hmm. measurement outcome, say, of a quantum state. Mm -hmm. Because that's in the end what I really want out of it. 
Um, so that's the context that you need in order to do that work daily. So maybe from the outside, it looks very monotonous maybe because all I am doing is, well, not all I'm doing, but I could be on, on a day, right? I'm sending all these commands to machines and then they give out a measurement outcome to me. And then I interpret that and I think, what should I do next? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, uh, that's the level, that, that's what I mean about engineering as well. Um, Feel like this is still really vague what I'm saying. No, no, it's it's okay. But okay. <laughs> fun, fun, you know, it's always tough. I I think you said the 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 sexy phrase is you know you're bending physics to your will. Leave it there. It's okay. Okay. We, then know, then yeah, we'll leave it there. It, it sounds very yeah, cool. Yeah. So and and I'm I, using lasers too. So that's also oh cool. shit. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Right. So daily laser show. Oh my god. So for sure. I mean, to me, it sounds super cool. So I ho- hopefully the audience also finds it pretty nice as well. Um, all right. So some of the closing questions I have for you is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a newbie. Just, I mean, I'm with the audience. Like I know very little, like I, I have a good high level perspective on, on some of these things, but you know, I, I'm still lacking in a lot of different ways. So, so what is the question that let's say, I just don't know enough to ask you about maybe something that you would have maybe liked to talk about, or just something that I just don't know enough to ask you about. Is there something that you think I missed? Now, if I'm if I'm being honest, uh, I just want to compliment you a little bit on the uh, on the on the way that we talk about this because I feel like uh, indeed, in a good way, you're an outsider to this very specific field. But I think you're asking the right questions on on you know you're poking the bubble that I'm in mm-hmm. and try to see like okay where where can I get in like how, how does yeah. this work how does that work for you. Um, and uh, indeed, it's, it's also for me, it's really hard to, to really spe- be specific about these answers because, of course, there's like this wad of knowledge behind exactly. me. Exactly, the that context that makes, context, make, yeah. makes everything, you know, makes a lot, makes these things matter to you and makes these things make sense. Without that context, you know, someone else, you know, is just going to, you know, does, doesn't make any, any sense. So I guess from my perspective, I just ask these more high level questions because they say that that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. That's what I understand. But I feel like it's very exciting to also get into the details of it. I mean, yeah. it's just, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I think something that, uh, th- that you can talk in length about because it doesn't happen too much in this field is like, okay, uh, how do I monetize this in general? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something maybe that's a little bit overlooked. Um, by physicists, for sure, and by scientists, because it's yeah, it's not our job, right. obviously. Um, but it is something that I think about, because I also realize that that should be a thing in the next uh, decades, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also one thing why I like talking to you and talking to sort of people from Erasmus in general, or Erasmus alumni, obviously, because they give me also a different perspective. I can tell you what's out there, and I encourage you to take that with you and perhaps even, you know, call me later mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. ask me more questions or then together we can figure out something if you have an idea. But obviously the other way around this works too, that if I would now interview you about other business related things or what are you looking for in investment or right, right. something related to, but then I try to project it obviously to quantum tech and see if there's an avenue that you can pursue here that's interesting for people outside as well. Yeah, exactly. And on this note, you know, this this is kind of like why I feel... For for a long time, you know, our universities haven't connected in the level that I think they should. And I, I mean, maybe yeah. it's the distance, mm-hmm. you know, we are certainly collaborating on a number, number of levels. Yeah. But now, for instance, to you, Delft is actually coming on campus. 
uh, and we're yeah. starting a closer collaboration with them. And I think it's so crucial. Uh, you know, you have on our side, you know, we have we have the business people that just, you know, f- think that, uh, you know, an idea will come and, you know, uh, let's say if we need the tech people, we'll get the tech people. You have the tech people that just think the products will sell themselves. And, you know, and you also have that kind of like, yeah, you you need the be- you mm. need these two worlds to to collide, and you know beautiful things can happen. So yeah, I, sure. I I'm happy about let's say, um, uh, yes, self sorry, uh, coming on campus and ah, then yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. making let's say starting that uh, collaboration there. Right. Um. All right. So let let's just closing question for someone who after this podcast wants to learn more uh, about this and maybe about you as well. You know where can how do you kind of keep yourself educated and where, what would you tell them? Like where should they look and where can they also find you and interact with you maybe? Yeah. So uh, if we talk about uh, where to educate yourself on this field in general, um, of course, personally, I read sort of the bleeding edge as in papers and that come out, but that's of course the level that uh, you'll get to eventually. Mm-hmm. Um but definitely, there. I'm really happy that there are so many resources around now to learn about quantum computing. Microsoft has their own programming language. IBM has a really good uh, uh, set of um, sort of simulation software with a lot of background. And we have it as well. So QTech also has this called Quantum Inspire. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there might even be something coming for the internet side of things as well. So be tuned for that. But it's something that uh, that we also want to carry out into the world of educate people on quantum tech. So you can go to QTech website, uh, search Quantum Inspire. And IBM is a really good background, like I said. And in the end, you know, as with everything nowadays, just Google about it. Look at yeah, yeah. some really good MIT videos. Yeah, that, look uh, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. And and what about where can they find you if they want to? Like, get in contact with you. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get in contact with me, the best way is through LinkedIn. That's uh, my uh, really only sort of uh, public face that I uh, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I actively maintain nowadays. Uh, so find me there just on my name. And um, obviously, uh, I'm also at the QTech website if you want to directly email me about maybe something a bit more quantum uh, mm-hmm. business-related things. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, also, I would love to hear from from... Perhaps the people watching or or anyone else that you that sees this, like if you have something that you want to be more interested about, business related and quantum, please talk to me. Like I mm-hmm. feel like uh, I, I really want to open these doors. Just like Yes Delft is now coming on Erasmus, which I think is really great. Um, I too want to be more in contact with also late late uh, late in their study students to. Uh, to talk about this because I want to explore this world as well from the other side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, That's please, awesome. Please hit me up. Yeah. Yeah, Ken, thank you so much for being here. It was amazing. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Great talk.